IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we're going to be talking about our personal experiences with ska. Yes. And whether the genre is due for a comeback. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Um, well, let's see. I'm, I'm a 41-year-old man whose brain just formulated the phrase emo discourse hangover at 7 o'clock in the morning. So I feel like I, I'm feeling about as good as I should feel. With those yeah, facts what, in what, place. What, what wave are we on now? We are, what wave are we on now, uh, I, uh, emo? It's, it's, it, it's, it's fifth? Some would argue fifth. Some would spend days and days and days uh, arguing on Twitter that we're on the fifth wave. And I don't want, like, see, I, I, I mean, I, I want to be vulnerable and bring the things that are happening into my life onto this show. But I don't think I really have the energy to get into the micro uh the micro facets of this thing i mean like it i i say like emo discourse hangover only because like it's the sort of situation where you like argue with someone on twitter or you feel like very passionate about this one thing the next day you just feel like complete shit like wow this is what i mean may, may, maybe this would be different if i had kids or something like that maybe this is a signal or something <laughs> You, you, you got to step away. You got to hug the young ones. You got to yeah. be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. It for. This is why I'm in the music discourse trenches <laughs> digging for uh, you know, hot take gold is to, uh, to put food in the mouths of these children. You know, so it's good to be reminded of why that is. Can I make, I have no opinion about fifth wave emo. I, to me, my understanding from, I've, I've dabbled in the discourse about this. My understanding is that it was brought up initially as kind of a joke or like a good nature yeah. thing and then it got turned into this uh like you know tempest in a teapot type situation um yeah my, my one contribution <laughs> to it is i just want to make a parallel between emo and jam band culture because uh, uh yeah, yeah. because you know you have all these waves of emo and i believe the fourth wave of emo would have been like 10 years ago like it's not that long ago that there was a fourth wave no. i want to point out that like I think what they finally came up with is that fifth wave basically encompasses anything that started in 2017. So, oh man, uh, yeah. So fourth wave, wave was going right, right up until uh, 2017, and then like I really don't think our audience has the capacity or the bandwidth right now for me to get into yeah, what I don't like, weed emo means. So let's just let's I don't just, either like, cut this off. Yeah, let's cut this off at the pass. <laughs> I just want to do my quick jam band parallel because yes, uh, it reminds I, I really me, want to hear this. <laughs> well, it reminds me about how like when when people talk about fish, there's 1.0 fish, there's 2.0 fish, and there's 3.0 fish. Referring to different eras of the band, 1.0 Fish being a basically Fish in the 90s up until they went on their hiatus after 2000. Then 2.0 Fish is 2002 to 2004 when they came back, and it's a very druggy period. Trey Anastasio was <laughs> was falling into addiction at that time, and he ended up, of course, uh, getting busted in 06. And uh, of course, he recovered after that, and he's been doing great ever since, which is which is wonderful. 2009, they come back. And it's 3.0 fish. And now the argument or the discussion in the jam band community is when fish is able to tour again, will they now be 4.0 fish? So oh. so they might be entering their fourth wave as emo is entering its fifth wave. Uh, so so maybe, maybe we can do a mashup of these two uh, conversations. I want to bring the emo yeah. and the jam band people together. Uh, that, that, I, I want to be the conduit to make that happen. We've covered... Emo, we've covered fish. It's only natural that this episode covers ska. I mean, like, let's oh, yeah. just bring in all these like straggler, uh, you know, subcultures that get made fun of by the cool kids who listen to Ice Age. And you know, let's. <laughs> this is what IndieCast is about. It's like the Horror Tour meets Warp Tour yes. meets uh, whatever. Yeah, Warp Tour again. That that was kind of the scoff. And those so. are our people. We we love these people. We love the people, the yeah. the un, the uncool kids who are the true believers who love the music that they love, even though they know it's unfashionable. 
the, the, we wave the flag for them, and that's why maybe we take shots at bands like Ice Age, who have a new album yes. out today uh, called Seek Shelter. And uh, I don't know. I don't. You know, we've taken shots <laughs> at Ice Age in the past. I don't want to. I don't want to gratuitously say mean things about them uh, because I know a lot of people legitimately. Well, I won't say a lot of people, but there's a there's a there's a constituency out there that really loves Ice Age, uh, legitimately. And also, you know, whenever I've talked about Ice Age on Twitter, it's like crickets. Like nobody cares. So I, I'm also worried about boring people. Uh, by oh. talking about Ice Age, but I mean, did you listen to the new record? Yeah, I, I, I did. Like, look, man, I, I do this for the love of the sport, and I listened to the new Ice Age record because you know they. Now, look, you might not want to take gratuitous shots at Ice Age, but you know that's how you and I are built different. Because I am that. De- <laughs> I think the funny. Th- I'm gonna good cop, bad cop this. I'm gonna okay. be the good cop, and then I, I leave the interrogation room, and then you come in. Wait, no, I guess you come yeah. in first as the bad cop, and then the good cop comes in after that. Anyway. Well, either well, either way, I think, like, I was one... I, I, I really advocated for Ice Age back in the uh, New Brigade days. But, um, yeah, with this new record, it's interesting that, like, I, I take a look at Ice Age's trajectory over the past decade, and, you know, in some ways, they were, like, a quintessential indie cast band where they put out records pretty consistently every two or three years, like the same 12 people on Twitter rave over it. And it just has like, like you were saying, getting crickets. There is just no impact outside of, you know, the, 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 the concentric circles of music critics, I suppose. And I listened to this new record and the interesting part about it is that, um, now look, they've been quote leveling up on every single album for like the past 10 years. Like this time, you know, they're really leveling up, man. It's like, this is going to be playing festivals. And you know, this one is, kind of geared towards i guess like a late 90s idea of festivals like primal scream you know there's some uh oasis or verve in there but to me it just sounds like i i don't feel like i'm at like glastonbury or this sprawling uh european festival i feel like it's like 3 p.m at pitchfork festival and you know like look look, i'm there i'm there i'm rimshotting that one that was a good that was a good no no, that's a good one that was like a good insult comic type (laughs) type joke i like it but it's 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 the way I feel. I mean, I think a, a lot of this, is, a lot of what they do is like superficially, like this should be my shit. But like, yeah. I think there's something just weirdly conservative about this record. Um, it just seems. Yeah. I mean, that's what confounds me about Ice Age is that this direction that they've moved in, You and you're mentioning bands that I love. I mean, the right. Oasis, the Verve, you mentioned Probable Scream. Like this record reminds me a lot of that primal scream record where they tried to rip off the rolling stones yes uh, uh <laughs> it give out but don't give up which they also yeah the a, one with the confederate flag yeah and on I, the cover up. i for years by the way i for years thought that like the rocks off rolling stone song was like that song that they saw and they had on mtv called rocks like you gotta hand it to primal scream when they like go in character they go all the way well yeah i mean because that album overall wasn't very good but like rocks is like a banger i mean they they delivered with that (laughs) i mean if you know they they were doing this trashy retro rock and roll thing and they actually came up with a really good trashy rock and roll song and i think my frustration with uh seek shelter is that they don't deliver like the, yeah. the like the filthy disreputable bangers that you want from a record like this it's just a lot of lurching bombastic meandering songs that don't really have great hooks like there's a part of me that's just like oh hire like a producer like Dave Sardi and make like a jet record <laughs> you know make make you know make a record like get born you know which all the critics would hate but it would actually deliver on this trashy rock guys that you're trying to emulate on on this album it's it, it it's like you said I, I feel like it's a little too conservative it's a little too much like we're catering to the people with good taste with this album yeah which an album like this it should have bad taste it should be like just go for you know the hooks go for 
the sleaziness, you know, go for, you know, the gusto with this. Uh, so yeah, to me, it's just the disappointment. I think that like, this is a band that, um, they've gotten like four best new musics or five in the last decade. Uh, well, I, well, I would imagine that if, if they put out five albums, they've gotten five. So it's like a solid, this is like Panda Bear slash Bradford Cox numbers. Yeah, I, I don't know. I again, I, I know people love them, and 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 Godspeed. It, this is just a band. It's like a, it's a head scratcher for me in terms of yeah. the reception that they've gotten. I just find I always give their albums a chance, and I'm always disappointed. Yeah. And I and and even when they're doing things that I would enjoy, I just don't feel like they're executing it the way in a satisfactory manner for me, anyway. That's 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 the, that's the troubling part. It's like, man, I should really like this. I think the for me, it's like they just need to get more blasphemous with it. You know, like it's exactly make the a sellout record. They have is so good. Yeah, I think like uh, the song that comes to mind as like you know the goofus and gallant sort of thing. Like they need to do. I always want to die sometimes by the nineteen seventy five. Like that is how you do like real over-the-top, like, I am a golden god, Brit rock or, t- style I, music. I, I'm going to go back to Jet again. Rip off Lust for Life. <laughs> Dude, are you going to be my girl? Are you going to be my girl is a great rock song. It, it, it's dumb. Yeah. It's loud. But, like, if you hear that in a bar, <laughs> it kills. It's not this chin-stroking music writer music. It's like yeah. barroom music. It delivers and yeah. this record just doesn't deliver on that sort of gut level, visceral level that I yeah. think an album like this needs to. Or, you know, if you're going to, you know, talk about Oasis, you know, emulate Supersonic, emulate, you know, Live Forever, songs like that, that yeah. are just, they're more, uh, you know, heart than brains. Like there's very little brains, yeah. but it's like all heart and guts. You know, that's what this kind of music needs. And I just feel like, ah, oh, I wish. They could be pushed in that direction. So you know, uh, well, well, I can't wait to us having this conversation two years from now when they Ice Age levels up again. So let's just we can put a pin in this one for for the time being. Maybe maybe they're listening and taking notes on a legal pad, and they're like, okay, uh, make a record like Get Born. Okay, we can do that. <laughs> and I yeah. would be the only one who liked it. It would tank their critical cred, but I would give them a rave review if they did that. Um, yeah. I want to I want to talk to you quick about something you tweeted this week uh, because Ooh. it's the it's the first festival lineup that I found myself like genuinely feeling affection for, and uh, <laughs> it's unfortunate because it's from four years ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if you want to tell the story because you tweeted this thing that you went to like a festival in Memphis on like Cinco de yeah. Mayo. Yeah, this was when I was living in Benton, Kentucky. It's a town of about like 2,000 people in western Kentucky uh, as part of my dietetic internship. And the cool thing about that city is that it's like it's about two, three hours away from like Memphis, St. Louis, um, Nashville. And so on the weekends, you could just say, yep, I want to drive two and a half hours to go see a Cardinals game or see this music festival. And it was an entire weekend. That's what I tend to forget. But um, I definitely had to go on the Friday night because it was uh, taking on one stage, mind you, taking back Sunday, some 41, Jimmy World and Snoop Dogg at the end. And also there was like widespread panic at another at another stage. I think later right. that weekend, drive by truckers played uh, the last night. Um, it was the Sunday night. Same stage. It was Soundgarden. Bush, Midnight Oil, <laughs> Alter Bridge, which is like Alter Bridge, which is like the the po- like the Foo Fighters to Creed's Nirvana, I suppose. Right. And the the opening band on that stage, the three thirty, like people just filing in eating their funnel cakes, Machine Gun Kelly. So, guys, it, like bands, if you're if you're wondering, it's like, man, is this really worth it? Like, am I getting anywhere? Like, you could be like opening for Alter Bridge at a Memphis music festival in May and then, you know, ha- and then be like the biggest pop punk act and, in the world. Right and Midnight now. Oil. So, Midnight Oil in the middle yeah, there well, too. I, I don't, which, your which, guess is as good as mine. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, I mean, that. I mean, look, the, the thing about this line, and by the way, Soundgarden, I mean, this would have been not long before yeah. Chris Cornell passed away, which, you know, would have been yeah. amazing to, to see that. Um, the reason I love this lineup is that the thing I've realized about music festivals is that 
I think I like the smaller community festivals more oh, than yeah. the big ones because of this <laughs> weird combination of bands. I, because you go to a festival, it's clearly not the best environment to actually hear a band that you love. You know, you want to go see a band that you love in a club or a theater where you're surrounded by people who actually like this music and you can hear it in a nice sounding venue and it's just a better experience. If you're going to a festival, it really is just about the environment and having a good time. And um, I'm looking at this lineup and it's like a lot of bands that I kind of like or I know some of their songs and I'm like, yeah, that's a band that I want to hear play on a stage in the middle of the street when I've had, you know, several beers on like a summer afternoon. I mean, yeah. that to me is like a fun festival experience. And maybe I'm showing my age here that I'd be excited to see a festival where it's midnight oil and bush. <laughs> and, <laughs> You're going to hear beds are burning and machine head. What a great day. Like, uh, I'm but, not even kidding, man. But, but it's sort of like, like I've know, been to Coachella and there have been like hours at a time where it's like, I have no bands I want to see right now. But. You know, these local festivals like San Diego has this one called Kaboo, which is in Del Mar, which is like a really uh, affluent part of the city. And they'll have like Nelly, Wu-Tang Clan, REO Speedwagon, Boys to Men, and like Kings of Leon. It's like the most random festival put together for, for the sort of people who, you know, live in Del Mar. But like what I've heard is that everyone who goes there has like the best time. That sounds magical because what it is is it's like you're basically just going on like iPod Shuffle, but like in a live situation. So because it's like, would you would you ever see Boys to Men by themselves? Would you ever see Midnight Oil by themselves? These are all yeah. artists that like you'd be like, I never would just go pay money to see them by themselves. But it's like you're walking by a stage. And then you hear, I'll make love to you, or you'll hear beds are burning, just coming from a random stage. And you're like, hell yeah, I'm going to hang around to hear this random song. That Like, oh yeah, I I actually like this song. I haven't thought about this in like a long time, but this is pretty fun. I I think about like my favorite version of this. Like, I mean, this isn't like a festival festival, but when I was living in Lexington, there was a Oktoberfest sort of couple day festival where it's you know, a, a, a way for all the Lexington cool parents to like, you know, give their kids babysitters and go out and have fun and like go to food trucks and see bands. Uh, they're the only bands that I really remember. Like the headliner of Friday night was Jim Blossoms, and the next night was uh, Fastball. So, <laughs> oh yes, I did. I did not see Fastball. I definitely saw Jim Blossoms, and they definitely covered Folsom Prison Blues. <laughs> oh my god, they were covering. That was I a saw- memorable night. I saw them and they covered uh, "Let Down" by Radiohead, which oh, I wow. which I thought was Range. actually I thought that was actually a pretty <laughs> awesome cover. It's like a jangly uh, Radiohead song. It's like the most Jim Blossom sounding Radiohead song, probably. So <laughs> they were able to lock into that, which which was pretty brilliant. But yeah, I I don't know. I because seeing all these big festivals come back and you see the lineups and it's like oh, it's yeah. all the same people and future islands <laughs> yeah yeah future islands they're on every lineup and it, it just feels a little like oh well Chance should... the rapper <laughs> yeah it, it's it just feels like a little sort of boilerplate but then you get to these smaller festivals and just like the random assemblage of of different artists who aren't as famous or you know as i guess relevant to modern music but you're just like oh yeah like It'd be kind of fun to go on a stage like that again, like that stage that you saw where you have you could go see Snoop Dogg or Widespread Panic, you know, like that's those <laughs> are your choices. They're like, oh yeah, hell yeah, I I would probably bounce between both stages. That would that'd be really fun. Um, I went to I went to a state university in the late nineties. I can enjoy this <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, I did so <laughs> exactly. Um, let's move on to our mailbag segment here. Uh, this yes. question comes from a listener named. Sean. Sean did not say where he was from. Uh, oh. pl- please say where you're from. We're just going to assume that you're from uh, Pennsylvania if you don't say where you're from. I feel like, or, or Canada. <laughs> Pennsylvania yeah, or, it's, or it, Canada. We have a lot of listeners. It's Michigan, it's Michigan or Canada. Like, it's some Midwest <laughs> state, but not Illinois or Canada. Um, and by the way, uh, I, I realize I haven't been saying the email address <laughs> that you can send uh, emails to. <laughs> 
lately. And I actually, we created a new email address just for IndieCast Mailbag. It's called IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. So very easy to remember if you're listening. If you want to send us a question, we'd love to hear from you. Again, that's IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. Here's Sean's question. Hey, Stephen and Ian. I found this podcast after Stephen's review of the Greta Van Fleet album got retweeted into my timeline. And I've been binging (laughs) the pod to its first episode since. Uh, As the only person that really likes music, and particularly indie rock in my friend group, it's been great to listen to people talk about the type of music I listen to and find some new stuff too. Oh, that's that's, that's cool, Sean. Thank you. Um, We're coming up on the anniversary of Scott Hutchison's death, and this was the first music death as a guy in his mid-20s that really impacted me. Uh, Of course, talking about uh, the... Frightened uh, rabbit front man here. Uh, the, my, the the midnight organ fight got me through a pretty tough college breakup, and my question is twofold: What is the quintessential indie rock breakup album, and who was the first music death that impacted you guys? Thanks, love the pod, Sean. So two questions here. Yeah, quintessential breakup album for, for for indie rock, and like he's asking like what, like who was the first music death? Yeah, that really impacted you. Do you have answers to these questions? I do, man. These are heavy ones. We this this took a turn to like now for a more serious talk. Um, but yeah, it's 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 funny. For like first of all, I love the fact that this guy found us through a Greta Van Fleet uh, album review, and also like the guy in the friend group who listens to indie rock, like the one guy. I feel like that's kind of the audience that I'm looking to get. Oh yeah, it's like the person. That is our Sean. You're our people. So yeah, that's that's our um, that's our number one demo. Absolutely. Yeah. So as as far as like breakup albums go, it's funny because like I haven't like when, when I used to listen to those. I used to seek them out like when I was in no danger at all of being in a relationship, aka college. I mean, it was just like I, I thought that was like the only kind of concept album you could do besides like Pink Floyd stuff. So I mean. You know, back in the day when it was like, you know, Cursive's Domestica or, you know, I know that I'll I'll never listen to this album again, Heartbreaker um, or things like that, um, you know, or Fevers and Mirrors. Those were great, like at the time, because it kind of gave me this sense of like, oh, you know, relationships are going to be like major and dramatic. And like, it it was almost like a, a wish fulfillment in a way. And Um, When I think about it now, like as I've had like adult relationships that have actual impact and have ended, like I never find myself like reaching for those kind of albums in that moment. Like I I feel like I just listen to what I listen to. Like I don't need to, you know, sit down and put on like Domestica and think about like how the martyr (laughs) reflects my life. But um, I also think that like as 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 music um, in general has shifted away from like the, uh, for lack of a better term, sad white guy point of view for the most part. I feel like the breakup out, like as it's known for people of our age, has sort of fallen by the wayside. I can't think of too many like um, of recent vintage that got like uh, the same amount of acclaim as the ones we had mentioned before. But, you know, the Midnight Organ fight, I mean, as far, like to answer the second question about like, um, you know, the deaths that affected me the most. I mean, like, I'm 41 years old, so, like, I was obviously, like, a music fan, like, cognizant of the world at large when, you know, Kurt Cobain and Lane Staley died and, but, like, and Elliot Smith. But, like, I don't remember, like, being shook up. I mean, they were tragic, but, like, the one that actually, I think, affected me the most, um, the first, like, the first one that I felt, like, really, um, you know, shook up by was actually, I think, Scott Hutchinson, um, and you know, to get, I haven't really talked about this, um, you know, publicly or whatever, but like, you know, what happened with him is that I was a huge frightened rabbit fan, particularly like the fat cat years. And, um, you know, as they started to make, uh, albums on Atlantic, um, I felt like you know, I didn't connect with them as much. And, you know, I think with like sad, sad people music, there gets to a point, like I, I've said this about the national where you start to kind of play a character um, and the last album that Frightened Rabbit did, Picture of a Panic Attack, um, I reviewed it and I get, like, I didn't know much about like, you know, Scott Hutchinson as a person. I, I was pretty dismissive of it. I thought they were just kind of spinning their wheels. Um, and a few years later, like, you know, as he, you know, tragically took his own life. I mean, you look back on that review and like, that's the one 
I regret the most because like, I didn't know about his mental health state. I don't think people were talking about mental health as much, uh, publicly. And, you know, uh, you look back on it and it just seems like, uh, just very callous. And that really, it shook me up because it really, um, kind of forced me to look at, you know, the people who make music as like it humans who are like going through shit. And I think that was also kind of the case with like Chester Bennington when he died as well, because for, more people he was seen as this like kind of caricature of like angst uh and not like someone who was dealing with his own personal demons so i mean i i i mean that's kind of that that of anything i've done as a writer probably the thing i regret the most um you know at the time like i was honest about how i felt about the record but like not really considering the people behind it and so i guess that's like why you know, Scott Hutchinson is probably that, that, you know, it has affected me the most to this point. Yeah. It's interesting when you write about stuff and, you know, cause you're writing about a record, you're not necessarily yeah. writing about the person, but those things get intertwined, the, the, the artist and, and what they make. And it's, it, it, as much as people want to say that art just stands on its own, it's impossible if you create something not to feel personally invested in something you, you've put out, especially if you're writing about uh, yourself or your own experiences. So, and and if you're in a position where you're actually like writing as a critic about these things, you don't intend to impugn someone personally, but if you are writing about their art, how can you not be impugning them on, on some level? So that's a very exactly. complicated thing. To go back to the breakup album uh, question, I think for indie rock, the correct answer is for Emma forever ago, the Bonnie Bear yeah. record that, immediately came to mind i feel like again the uh iconic go to a cabin because you've been had your heart broken and you write these yeah. sad <laughs> songs and they become a huge hit uh you know the mythology of that album it was such a big part of the success of the record i feel like that immediately came to mind and i understand what you're saying about breakup records i i i do feel like there's a certain time in your life where you are more apt to be drawn to this kind of record uh in your late teens early 20s and for the reasons that you talked about i think that there's something romantic about having your heart broken at that age like you aspire in some way at least if you're a certain kind of person to be <laughs> in this you know very kind of romantic uh love affair that ends in a very dramatic kind of way and then you go off and you lick your wounds and you create this beautiful piece of art i mean that's a very powerful narrative i mean i think you're right in terms of like the critical conversation i think critics are less apt to um praise an album like that maybe now for the political reasons that you mentioned um however i i still feel like normal people are still probably drawn <laughs> to that narrative because it's a powerful narrative and, it, and it's yeah. relatable to people i mean you know heartache is one of the few things that we all go through at some point everyone no matter who you are you get your heart broken uh so you know there's a reason why records like this land as well as they do because it's such a universal experience um as far as like the you know the musician uh, passing away that affected me you know my the first one is a obvious answer because of my age it would be Kurt Cobain you know that happened when I was 16 uh, and I was a big Nirvana fan and just the way, you know, he took his life. I mean, that was such a shocking thing uh, at the time. I would say that in more recent years, um, David Berman, his uh, passing oh, yeah. was uh, affecting. And in a similar thing to you, I mean, part of it was because I had interviewed him not long before he died. And when we talked, he seemed so hopeful to me about his future and wanting to go back on the road. And he mm -hmm. even said like, Hey, he was coming to Minneapolis. And I was like, I'd love to meet you in person. He's like, that would be great. So we made tentative plans to do that. And, um, for all the darkness that he, uh, you know, of, of all the darkness on the songs from the purple mountains record, I think mm -hmm. I, based on that conversation, I just felt like, well, maybe he's purged that and he yeah. will be okay. And, and so for him uh, to take his own life on the verge of that tour uh, was was pretty devastating. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, so that would be my answer for that. I mean, and all of these answers that we've given, it's all people uh, 
who who took their own life. I, I, I mean, because I think that's just the most shocking. Yeah. Kind of death. Um, I mean, because I, I yeah. can also say, like Tom Petty. Like when Tom Petty died, I was pretty affected by it. But that's like a little bit different. <laughs> but yeah. I, I'm still bummed that Tom Petty died. I mean, in terms of like an older musician, that would be the one that I think about the most. You know, I feel like at this point we need a pick me up or maybe a pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> oh, God, Steve. Oh my God, man. This is like we got to pick yeah, it up. That, that is like that, that. That seems to me like some really good parenting skills. When like everyone in the car is depressed after the family's had like a big fight. Like, I think this is where your parenting comes into play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I, I think we could all use it. So let's, yeah. let's segue here to the meat of our episode here talking about yes. ska. And uh, we're talking about this because I feel like there's something in the air right now yeah. where, where people are talking about ska. You had the Jeff Rosenstock album that recently came out. There's a, there's a book coming out, I think literally called in defense of ska. That uh, is what it's called. Aaron Karn. Yeah. I think people are wondering if this this would I guess would be the fourth wave of ska unless there's like a more famous uh, unless there's like a less like more obscure wave. I mean, uh, let's give a little background on ska here before we get into our conversation. This is a this is a music genre that originated in Jamaica in the late 1950s, um, and I guess you could say if you were going to describe it to someone who's never heard ska before, I assume everyone here is at least familiar with ska, but you know, it's music. It has like a walking bass line. It's uh, there's rhythmic accents on the offbeat. You usually have like some sort of horn section in there. Uh, you might have a guy in your band who only dances uh, and doesn't play an <laughs> instrument. Um, that's not required. Uh, but there are uh, three waves of ska uh, that people talk about. There's the original wave. Uh, which is the, the Jamaican scene of the 1960s. The second wave would be uh, from like the late 70s, like that two-tone movement, a lot of British bands, a lot of integrated bands, bands like the Specials and Madness and uh, the English Beat. Um, and then the third wave is uh, from the 80s and 90s, uh, which I feel like is the wave that you and I are probably most familiar with because it coincides oh, with yeah. our teen years. And it's also... Um, it seems like the music that Jeff Rosenstock is most directly referencing on his record. Um, mm. w- wouldn't you say? I mean, it, it reminds me of like yeah. a lot of like the uh, the ska punk records that I personally yeah. did not buy, but I know well because <laughs> all my friends love that kind of music. You know, like Operation Ivy, um, like the early Rancid uh, records. Um, uh, you know, things see- like. Like, uh, like less than Jake, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, because I thought when you were like talking about like the Scott, like I never, like I, th- I'm not trying to say that Operation Ivy and Primus are like the same, but this kind of calls back to a previous episode <laughs> oh, where like you either own the Primus album or like just someone in your friend group has it, and that's how you hear it. It's never like. You go to your CD rack, pull off like Operation Ivy. It's like a dubbed cassette tape or just in that CD, in that Logic CD binder. It's just, if, you, if you're if you of our age group, it was just in the air. Like just yeah. somebody had that. And I think that's something, it might be hard to really put that across to people like who weren't around at the time, <laughs> that this wasn't yeah. a niche thing. If you were... Uh, in your teens or early 20s i if you were like in high school culture basically uh or middle school culture in the 90s i feel like yeah you didn't have to buy these cds it was just sort of like it was a contact buzz from your friends it would always be playing and um and even i like who would i I wouldn't describe myself as a ska fan in the 90s but like (laughs) i was i went to ska festivals at that time there was a ska festival at my college i skanked on occasion, yep. have, have you ever skanked, Ian? I've i probably like skanked like probably in a joking way, but hold on, I'm not ready to like I'm not ready to leave the topic of um, a ska festival in a Wisconsin college town like Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Yeah, you cannot. You can like the yeah. And there was one in my hometown bears. too. There, there was one oh. in my there was one in my hometown. I'm from Appleton, Wisconsin. It was called Scoppleton. <laughs> Uh, the Scott <laughs> Festival at, at, at Lawrence University, which is the local college in Appleton. Um, so we had a Scott Festival there. So yeah, again, that shows how 
far this filtered down. I mean, there was but like, not... were, you, were, were you getting the big ska acts there or was it like local or was it a combination? Uh, like I'm trying to remember. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't remember. Like, ah. I mean, like, you know, like the like Goldfinger or something didn't come to my mind. Oh, yeah. I mean, they might have like down the road a little bit, like after they had kind of worn off their MTV shine or like real big fish or mustard plug or something. And they never came to my town, <laughs> but, um, yeah. you know, we should say by the way that the name of the Jeff Rosenstock record is called ska dream. It is yeah. a, uh, it's sort of like a redone version of, uh, his, uh, 2020 album. And it's like, these are ska versions of, of the songs on that record yeah. essentially. And, uh, it sounds like, in a way, it started off as a goof, and then it became almost like a ska tribute album because there's like a bunch of musicians on this record, uh, and we should pull up like the list of guest stars. Yeah, Fish Fishbones on there, a guy from Fishbone. Uh, you know, Jeff Rosenstock. I remember when like, I reviewed, I interviewed him back in 2018ish or 19. We talked about ska a bit, and you know he had to remind me. It's like, dude, I'm in like an actual ska band, Bruce Lee band, who just dropped a new single. Um, and I think it, it is kind of a goof in the sense that like the titles are all just putting words like ska or Rudy or pick it up wherever they can. Uh, but you know these guys are these are guys who know their shit, and I think that it would be more it would be very difficult to come up with like a better um, crossover type album for the indie world because people already love jeff rosenstock people you know the the songs themselves are familiar it's not like we're doing it from scratch also jeff rosenstock to my knowledge the only person who ever played a ska song at pitchfork music festival oh man uh yeah so he's he, he's a the guy who just, yeah so i mean so i think that this album itself has gotten just there's been a lot but i i gotta say that like we got to give a shout out to like Brooklyn Vegan, uh, Andrew over there. Like that guy's been on this stuff for years. Like, and he's been saying that like, you know, Scott's coming back and, you know, people like you and I, it's like, how is that possible? It's a big live scene. There's eight people in the band. Um, but what's interesting to me is that I do the, the way that like the Scott, whatever comeback or revival, if you want to describe it is like, well, if it happened for Remo and if it happened for, you know, these other genres, like, why not ska? And, you know, I think, I think that's kind of reductive, but like, also like people, like people really do love this stuff, you know? Well, the thing with ska that's interesting to me in this moment is that it's so antithetical to what indie music is at this moment. You know, it's very, (laughs) well, it's very upbeat and it's very energetic as opposed to being, uh, you know, downbeat and vibey and songs about mental illness and songs about, you know, how you feel alienated in Trump's America. I mean, that's basically what indie <laughs> music has been for like the last several yeah. years. It's music, as you said, that is very much about playing live. It's about musicianship. It's about like lots of people in your band as opposed to yeah. like one person recording in their bedroom and then posting it on Bandcamp. Um, and it's ultimately like very social music you know i i said this uh somewhat sardonically earlier you know me talking about going to ska festivals in the 90s and and skanking and and stuff and it's easy to clown on that but at the same time it's like you know i i had a good time at the time i'm dancing i'm with friends it's not the kind of band or music or festival that you go see and cross your arms and just stand there and do nothing it is music that demands interaction with other people which in this moment where we're slowly coming out of our caves, maybe that will have appeal to people like, Hey, we've been in our own bubble for so long. Um, maybe it would be fun to go dance to really peppy, energetic music played by good musicians. And, uh, you know, we can have a good time. I mean, that to me is the best case for that. I mean, Mm -hmm. the thing with ska for me is always that like, as, um, as a genre, it's like it's like putting garlic in your food. It like kind of overwhelms everything. You know, it's it it's very distinctive. It's hard to integrate into other kinds of music. I mean, I think with Rosenstock, and I've interviewed Jeff too uh, a couple of times, and we always end up talking about ska at some point. Like he is the ska, uh, you know, ambassador in indie rock. Yeah, He's ska been doing it for whisperer. Years. 
I mean, he actually was able to integrate Scott into his recent records. Like you think about Worry being his big indie breakthrough, mm-hmm. that, that suite on the second half yeah. of the record, there's ska songs in there, you know, that he's integrating with other kinds of music. And I think in a way that's even like more palatable than, I mean, this album is so fun, this ska dream record, and I would yeah. definitely recommend checking it out. But I think Jeff's ability to integrate that with other kinds of music is actually like pretty unique and uh, might be more of a path forward for this kind of music mm-hmm. for people that maybe don't want a whole album of ska, but like would like maybe some ska accents. But I, I don't it seems like it's hard to bring into other kinds of music to me. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, there there was a huge hit song by a band. I believe they're called the Interrupters. Um, they were on, uh, like, the guy from Rancid, uh, Tim Armstrong. I believe he has like a label called Hellcat, which is, I believe, like tied into Epitaph and Anti. That kind of just does ska. And the inter- they had a huge hit. So, but like, I think that was kind of a one off. And um, I think you're right in that, like, straight up ska is like going to be a lot for people and i think that's really going to be the determinant of like whether it you know catches a wave beyond like curiosity or hey we remember that time that like pitchfork reviewed uh jeff rosenstock sky album because there are a lot of like new bands that are um intertwined with uh the punk emo or diy world uh jer from the scottoon network uh you know they're all over the place they're in a band called we are the union which could be kind of a breakthrough in that realm. Like it's sort of got, uh, you know, a narrative, like kind of a transgender dysphoria blues sort of thing going on. And, um, you know, that's what's interesting to me because it's one, th- like it's it's one thing to say, oh, ha, you know, maybe the Boston's records were actually pretty good or no, Ska was actually like really progressive as far as like bringing together people of different races and social classes and such. Um, but, you know, I'm interested to see, uh, if people are actually like willing to embrace the new bands that are doing it, you know. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I can definitely see a situation. You know, cause going back to music festivals, you know, that conversation. Yeah. There is, I think, you go to some of the hipper music festivals, uh, <laughs> certainly in the indie realm, and there is, I yeah. think, th- there can be a bit of a sameness to it, where you have like singer songwriter, you know, avant garde R and B artist you know, Brooklyn indie band, you know, it's like a lot of things that are sort of in the same downbeat lane. And I could definitely see a situation where you had a ska band in a situation like that, that could actually kill because it seems like in that environment, like ska would be great. Like a summer afternoon uh, where you're in a party atmosphere. I mean, it seems like it would work well. And, you know, one thing we haven't, you were touching on this a bit, you know, the political element of this kind of music, I think, is pretty potent. I mean, there's a there's a long history of integrated bands in ska uh, going yeah. back, you know, many years. I mean, that, again, that was a big thing about the second wave of ska, uh, which was about, you know, bringing uh, musicians of different races together and having them play together. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that might be something that you know contemporary bands could take inspiration from um absolutely you know so i think there's potential there for something where if you want to ground the music where it's not just about having a good time but you're grounding it in some political socially conscious message i could see that happening but i I mean i don't know i mean like this is the kind of music that Mm -hmm. and we alluded to this at the beginning of the episode that it's very easy to make jokes about ska because it's essentially. It has good. a sense of humor, though. It does. I mean, like if you think about if you think about like the stuff that we like, you know, less than Jake, real big fish. They like they they made in a lot of ways very funny music. <laughs> it, it it's funny and it's good natured, you know. And I think, yeah. um, which makes it susceptible to be clowned on by like miserable people online who like don't like to have fun, you know, like yeah. the, the, the like the good natured people who are dancing and just laughing. It's like, well, you know, you can stand on the sidelines and cross your arms and make fun of it if you want. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it's hard for me, even if I'm not necessarily like listening to ska all day long. I I do appreciate like what Jeff is doing and. Um, was it uh, Aaron Carnes? He's the author of the yep. In Defense of Ska. Do we know when that book comes out? I think it's coming out. It came out, I believe, on the fourth. I, I believe. Oh, it's it came out this week. Out. 
It came out yeah, this week. And, so. Yeah, and, and, and I believe they've got a podcast going on as well. They'll talk – I, I did an interview with uh, Barry from Joyce Manor who was sort of in a ska band before Joyce Manor. By the way, Joyce Manor met originally. They met on the Orange County Ska Message Board. So uh, a lot of your band – like it, it is it, – A lot of people like use that as kind of a gateway towards other forms of punk rock. And, you know, I remember like I think the one VFW show that I went to while I was in high school was this like local ska, uh, local ska show. And I I don't remember much, but I do remember the first two songs the guy the band played were like one was about masturbation. The other was getting a restraining order. So, um, you know, his music definitely doesn't take itself too seriously. I have no idea why I remember those, like those two things, literally nothing else about that show. <laughs> you know, I just had a brainstorm. You know, I think you and I need to organize the first ever uh, IndieCast Music Festival. And it's just going to be emo bands, ska bands, and jam bands. <laughs> And the headliner will be Muse playing the Second Law in its entirety. <laughs> this is yeah. <laughs> this could be the worst or the best music festival of all time. It depends on who we can get yeah. on the bill. But uh, it would definitely be different, man. <laughs> we're gonna bring the emo, the ska, and the jam band community together. I think that if all those people, if we can get them together, we can overthrow the uh, yeah. overlords of modern indie rock. You know, yeah, no, we, 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 we can establish a new empire. Our, our movement has become too powerful. Like, uh, it's just when, when you unify, like, the jam band people and the ska people and the emo people and, you know, the one friend in the friend group who still, like, looks online to find music. Yeah. Like, it, 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 this, this movement just cannot be stopped. So, you heard it here first. <laughs> We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? Yeah, let's get... If Speaking of, like, throwing together a bunch of, like, uh, strange genres into one uh, one into one record, um, this band, and also Fifth Wave stuff, um, if you have to pick one chiptune emo power pop record from Montana this year, I would recommend it be uh, Hey, I-L-Y. Maybe they pronounce it "Hey, I Love You," but um, this is a band I've had my eye on a lot this year. Um, they put out a couple singles um, that remind me of—I I don't know if they're making music anymore—but a band called Crying, which was kind of going with a you know a similar like chip tune slash power pop sound, and they're badly missed. But um, this album also integrates some like screamo or like black metal or acoustic instrumentals. It's an EP called internet breath. Um, and when you look at like the cover, it's very kind of cutesy, very eight bit, but you know, the songwriting is like very, very like legitimate. Um, it's a record that sounds like nothing else out there. Um, and I think this is why people get so passionate about fifth wave because like, it sounds nothing like you wouldn't hear this think, Oh, that's an emo band, but like the attitude of it and also the connections it makes to, you know, bands like glass beach or weather day or home is where, um, it's still pretty low fi I think they have just so much potential to do even better stuff. Uh, but I do see them kind of being like a singles or an EP band, but this new one, internet breath, Hey, I L Y, uh, this is a record you're going to know if you love it, like within the first 10 seconds. And if you like, if you get to the part of this episode where I recommend stuff, you, I, I imagine this will be your shit too. So, yeah, I was, you know, I saw people talking about this album on Twitter and I thought, oh, I'm going to hate this album. And I put it on and I really enjoyed it. I like this album a lot. And I'll just say that I feel like sometimes, you know, because you hear about like, oh, it's like, it, it's like Nintendo music with power pop and emo and like all these things kind of being pushed together that on paper don't seem like they fit. And I feel like those elements, it, it gives the record an interesting like sonic character, but at its core, it's just like really good songs. Like these are good pop rock songs that just again, have like really kind of cool and interesting and maybe even like wacky sonics to them. But yeah, I, I like this EP a lot as well. So I'm going to double that uh, recommendation from Ian. Um, what I'm recommending this week is a band called lightning bug. This is a band from Brooklyn. Mm. They have a new album coming out 
in June called A Color of the Sky. And this is a record that I've just been playing on a loop. It's it's definitely one of my favorite albums of of, of 2021. Uh, so that's why I'm talking about it now. I'm sure I'll be talking about it again next month once we get closer mm-hmm. to the release date. But you can go on Bandcamp right now. You can pre-order the record. You can hear some uh, some sample tracks ahead of time. Uh, this is a band that they've been active since like the early to mid-2010s. They're led by a singer-songwriter named Audrey Kang. And they've been described often as shoegaze, but... I think that's like yeah. a little reductive because to me there's a lot of other things going on in this music. There's a lot of like ambient textures. There's some like really great like alternative rock dynamics. Mm-hmm. I mean to me it's just like this big beautiful like dreamy rock record that just envelops you. You know, it creates a world yeah. unto itself. Really beautiful uh sonics and just and just, and just great songs. So um again, I feel like I'll have more to say when this uh, record drops next month, but I just want to put this band on your radar. They're called Lightning Bug. Uh, you can look them up on streaming platforms. I'd recommend going to their Bandcamp page, check out the sample tracks, pre-order the record. Um, but yeah, I think this is a band to watch in in 2021. Yeah, I like their last record too. And you know, it isn't shoegaze specifically, but I do think that is a good entry point because if like you like shoegaze this might be the kind of singer-songwriter or slow core, whatever sort of record that might appeal to you anyway. Yeah, just beautiful stuff. It's going to sound great in June. Yeah, I feel like, you know, you say shoegaze, and there's so many bands aping that now, and it, it, they do it yeah. in a cliche kind of way. So, like, I, I veer from that a little bit. It's not just, you know, loud guitars play through effects pedals while someone, like, mumbles underneath it. You know, it, it, it's a lot more thoughtful and well put together than that. Uh, so, yeah, definitely check out that band. And yeah. also check out Hey, I-L-Y or Hey, I Love You, however you say that. that, <laughs> that, that two really good records right there. Um, thank you again. This is the end of our episode, but uh, we appreciate you listening to us talk about Midnight Oil for, like, a really long time. Uh, in this episode hopefully you can do that again Uh, but we will be back with more news reviews and hashing out trends next week and if you're looking for more music recommendations sign up for the indie mixtape newsletter you can go to uprocks.com backslash indie and i recommend five albums per week and we'll send it directly to your email box